Hello, folks. This is Sly and Joni. We're here with No Filters Media's third podcast, and uh, we are here for lively discussions about just about any topic that you can think of. Uh, I'm Sly James. I'm the co-founder of Wickham James Strategies and Solutions. I'm also an author of a couple of books, a former mayor of Kansas City, Missouri, a Marine, uh, a sometimes lawyer. I won't tell you I'm just an old country lawyer because I am not from the country unless you call Montgall here in Kansas City, Missouri country. Uh, and I am always and foremost the grandfather of two very cute, brilliant uh, grandchildren who are fortunate enough to look a lot like me. And I am from the country, as you might detect. My name is Joni Wickham, and I'm the co-founder of Wickham James Strategies and Solutions. I'm also the author of The Thin Line Between Cupcake and Bitch, Sly's former chief of staff when he was mayor of Kansas City, Missouri, and current wrangler of a second grader and a couple of fur babies. You can check out our firm's website at wickhamjames.com to see how we can serve you and to book us for speaking engagements. And this week, we have two of our favorite uh, local Kansas City community leaders and friends. Uh, Kiana Sinks is with us today. And Kiana is a community-minded connector with eight-plus years of consistent volunteerism and community engagement. She uh, convenes community conversations with uh, the roundtable with her co-founder, my other friend, Nicole Jacobs-Sylvie. And she also is the uh, uh, force behind Up Next with Kiana, a show that airs Monday through Thursday, starting at 8.30 Central. And she is working with our friend Bob Kendrick at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Bob Kendrick is the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, and I can tell you from firsthand knowledge and also because I consider him to be an excellent man and a very good friend that but for Bob Kendrick, the Negro Leagues Museum would not be as well situated today as it as it is. Uh, he has done m- marvelous work, which is exemplified and recognized by the fact that he was named Citizens of the Year. Uh, he's been named the 100 Most Influential African Americans in Greater Kansas City. He is inducted to the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame, probably for golf. But my guess is is that there's a fashion segment to it as well. So he probably has this little plaque under his Missouri Sports Hall of Fame that says, best dressed golfer ever. I mean, ever. (laughs) Ever. Ever. You know, this is a man who shows up at baseball games looking better than I showed up for in my high school prom. I mean, to tell you, he has got it all cooking going on. But the main thing about Bob Kendrick that you need to know is is that this man – can tell you a story that is absolutely in, in, inextricably intertwined with the American civil rights movement called the Negro Leagues baseball system that started right here in Kansas City. So, you know, we'll get right into it. And, and I do mean it sincerely. We are fortunate to have both Bob and Kiana here. And Bob, if you can just tell us a little bit about the impact of how the Negro Leagues uh, and what impact it had on general societal issues as it was growing, because the two things are linked. Oh, there's no question. There's absolutely no question. And and I think it's so appropriate that we are recording this just a few days after we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day, because for us, 
it is that constant connection, Mayor, of baseball and civil rights. And I think sometimes people are surprised to know of that connection and the impact that the Negro Leagues had. But as I've said now on many occasions, this museum is a civil rights museum. It is a social justice museum. It's just seen through the lens of baseball. But more importantly, it is triumph over that adversity. So when we look at what happened in 1947, when Jackie Robinson joined the Brooklyn Dodgers after being signed away from the Kansas City Monarchs to break baseball's six-decade-long self-imposed color barrier, that was, in essence, the beginning of the civil rights movement. Now, very few folks have even connected it to the civil rights movement, but not only was it connected, we believe it was the beginning. Because when you go back and think about this, 1947, that is well before Brown versus the Board of Education. That is before Rosa Parks' refusal to move to the back of the bus. As our friend, the late, great John Buck O'Neill would so eloquently say, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a sophomore at Morehouse College when Robinson signed his contract to play in the Dodgers organization. And of course, our own President Truman would not integrate the armed forces until a year after Jackie. So for all intents and purposes, this is what started the ball of social progress rolling in our country. Baseball and the Negro Leagues were at the forefront of that. That's fantastic. It it really is a a fantastic story. And I tell people that if you are fortunate enough to show up at the Negro Leagues Museum and have Bob Kendrick take you on a tour, Bob will take a breath at the beginning. And an hour later, he'll take a breath at the end. And all the time in between, he will be telling you about things that you never even thought of and doing it in a way that makes you laugh and cry simultaneously. And Kiana, thank you for being here, too. In the world of communications, we talk about how we want to avoid using wasted words. And I don't think Bob Kendrick knows a wasted word. So thank you for that, Bob. And Kiana, girl, you could teach a master class in community engagement. Talk to us for a few minutes about your work to really engage a new generation um, of community members and audiences, frankly, all across the world and what's going on at the Negro Leagues. Yeah, well, thank you guys for having me, uh, Joni, you and we're sly and just super excited for the opportunity to obviously serve under Bob's leadership. It's been, for me, a, a breath of fresh air. I'm learning a lot. A lot of things are happening. Who knew I would be starting at the museum during a global pandemic um, as if we didn't need enough. Yeah, that little thing. Yeah, but, um, you know, it's such a special place that Bob always talks about. And I think for me, just at this juncture in my career and in my life, just in general, um, it's not just a job. I mean, I come here every day and it's a lot of wisdom in here. Um, And I think Bob's at the forefront of that, of course, and people see him. But, man, like what a legacy that's being left and cultivated still. And I have an opportunity to educate young Kansas City about the importance of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and how that just connects to our larger picture and how fortunate we should be um, to have such a institution in our city. And so uh, for me, community engagement, I feel like is a part of me. Uh, Joni, I know that you've been a part of some of that. If we've, we've talked and we've gotten to know each other. Um, and I think that for all purposes, as soon as to now, it's the timing and, and the symbolic nature of social injustice and diversity and equity, it all kind of is balled up, it's balled up right here. Um, and I think for me, just the start of 
what I've been able to accomplish in a short amount of time is is evident, but also I know I have room to grow. So it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a lot to think about, um, especially now as we are kind of in this very divided place. But I think if anybody can do it, the museum can. And, and I'm just happy to be a part of that uh, story to be able to educate young Kansas City on why they should lean on the museum and support us. Mm-hmm. You know what? I, I, I And, and Keanu, I want to tell you how much I think that your services are needed and appreciate it. Uh, the Negro Leagues and the Negro Leagues Museum is a story that needs to be told around the entire world, um, or at least any place in the world that has a golf course. Um, and- <laughs> I love it. I'm Kendrick, coming to a golf course near you. <laughs> that would be the most incredible tour. It would be sold out. It would be. As a matter of fact, you could you could make it like a twofer. You could have like Chanel and Coco, whoever it is there, and do a fashion thing simultaneously. And Bob would still win. He went on the golf and on the runway. It's amazing. There's a pony buried under that pile somewhere. <laughs> well, there's been a lot of good stuff happening. I, I, I was unable to make it down to see the uh, the streetcar, one of my favorite things in the city, and the wrap of the Negro Leagues. I've seen it since, but I wasn't able to make it that day. But that was just one small thing that's happened with the Negro Leagues recently. What else is going on? I know there's been some big stuff doing. Yeah. Tell us about what's happening at the Negro Leagues Museum. Well, I tell you, it, it's been incredible for, in particular going back to, to last year when we were celebrating the 100th anniversary of the birth of the Negro Leagues and when we got off to such a an amazing start in February of last year on the actual 100th anniversary, we've got Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred, who I know you know, uh, and representatives from the Players Association, a group of distinguished guests that had gathered with us back at the Paseo YMCA, where this all started, and to roll out our plans for a 100th anniversary celebration. And at that gathering, Major League Baseball and the Players Association announced a joint $1 million contribution to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And and we roll out the plans for a year-long celebration. So, guys, we're off to a flying start. And, man, 30 days later, everything comes to a screeching halt, just like that. You know, I didn't know anything about no doggone coronavirus. And and I'm like, and, and so all of a sudden, all these great plans that we had for the year, I'm seeing them kind of fall by the wayside. And, and, you know, we talk about the resilient spirit of the Negro Leagues. We talk about it all the time. But now I ain't lying, y'all. I don't know if I was necessarily living that resilient spirit at that moment. (laughs) At some point, I realized that I got to dust myself off and try to embody that resilient spirit. But, man, I was, I tell you, I was wallowing there for a minute because we had so much riding on the year. But I take such great pride with what this museum was able to do in what was one of the most challenging times in American history dealing with this pandemic. And as Kiana mentioned, as if a pandemic wasn't enough, we move into a realm of social injustice that was reminiscent of being in the 1960s and the Negro Leagues Museum was pulled right into the midst of that. And and so, but we were able to salvage that year. And, And so when we rolled out our tip your cap to the Negro Leagues campaign, 
a campaign that went viral. And you don't set out to create a viral campaign. These things just happen. But when we rolled it out with four U.S. presidents tipping their cap, and President Obama, President Carter, President Clinton, and President Bush, noteworthy dignitaries like General Colin Powell, groundbreaking athletes Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Billie Jean King and you know Conan O'Brien and Stephen Colbert, and the list just went on and on and on, all mayor tipping their cap in respect to the Negro Leagues. And we started to build some great momentum. And then we have our National Day of Recognition with Major League Baseball. Even though it couldn't be in, in the stadium with fans, the level of engagement was absolutely incredible. And, and we move on further into the year and we make the announcement that Congress had passed legislation that was signed into law by the president that will grant the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum a commemorative U.S. Mint coin that will be minted in 2022. And I don't have to tell either one of you all to get bipartisan legislation last year passed was no small feat. No. You know, Republicans and Democrats didn't agree on anything. No. So one was shy and the other one said, no, it ain't. <laughs> that's that's a very um nice way to put it, Bob. <laughs> and so this coin will be minted in 2022. And outside of the prestige, there's a real financial ramification that stems from the minting of this coin. Guys, we could raise six million dollars or more for this museum if we're able to sell through these coins once they become available to the public in 2022. And, and then as we get to the very end of the year, in mid-December, Major League Baseball makes the monumental announcement that it was now recognizing the Negro Leagues for exactly what they were, a major league. And, and, and in many ways, this was atonement. It was acknowledgement. It was recognition for a blatant dismissal of recognition of these great leagues and the impact they had. And then as on today, the day that we're recording this, we just announced that the former Kansas City T-Bones are now going to be the great Kansas City Monarchs. Amen. And they're going to put those Monarch uniforms on beginning in May and every game here and on the road, they'll be wearing those uniforms and I can't wait to hear the PA announcer say, and here's your Kansas City Monarchs and the spirit of Buck O'Neill and Satchel Paige and, and Bullet Rogan and Hilton Smith, Willett Brown, all those legendary ball players will live again. And it also provides long-term sustainable support for this museum. So you know, man, every time I get a check, I'm happy. So I'm smiling <laughs> so big today. There was a check involved. And, and so, you know, we're excited, but it also becomes an extension of the Negro Leagues Museum. That ballpark now in Western Wyandotte County, we now get an opportunity to create exhibits that bring to life the history of the monarchs and the Negro Leagues. And hopefully that fan base will ultimately make their way here to historic 18th and Vine. And it's one of the uh, great opportunities to bridge Kansas City, Missouri and Kansas City, Kansas. So, you yeah. know, we're really excited about that announcement. So a few things been happening at the Negro Leagues Museum. Just a few. <laughs> like Are y'all tired? 
Well, you know, Bob, I have to agree with you. You know, I didn't know anything about the coronavirus either. When I first heard about it, the first thing I did was went to the refrigerator and poured out three beers thinking I was going to get sick. <laughs> well, that's what well, you do, wasting good alcohol. Well, um, can well, we talk just a minute? I, you've, you've hit a really interesting point here, Bob. Let's talk about your audiences and the visitors. Um, tell us a little bit about the different reactions um, from different demographics of visitors that you all see. Like, do you see a, a different reaction and hear different comments from uh, your visitors based on things like rage, uh, or I'm sorry, race or age or where they're from? It, you know, it's really interesting, Joni, because we get so many visitors from around the world, which I'm excited about. Uh, and, and really, I'm, I've always been very pleased with the national attention that this museum gets. Sure. And all the folks who can't wait to get to Kansas City to see what we have to offer. You know, my challenge has always been how do I get locals to come and feel that same way about what we have to offer? Isn't that but, interesting? Well, I think every attraction deals with that. That's because true. Because rarely do we become tourists in our own city. You know, we go somewhere else and we pay for that exact same experience, but we don't do it at home. So, you know, Mayor, when we had the All-Star Game, now everybody in Kansas City is filled with civic pride. They want to show off the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum or when the World Series is playing here. That's this civic pride in and around. But to almost to a person, Joni, and it doesn't matter what color you are, you come into this museum and you are amazed by what you learn, but you leave a little bit dismayed by the fact that you just now had an opportunity to learn it. You know, people be questioning, why didn't I know this when I was going through my formal education? And guys, we know the answer. The answer is quite simple. American historians did us all a tremendous disservice. They kept this wonderful piece of baseball and Americana away from us. So really, most of us went through our education without knowing one of the most important chapters, not in baseball history, but in American history. And so this story is filled with the American spirit. I think it's the American spirit at her absolute best. You won't let me play with you, I create my own. Yeah, there's nothing much more American than that, you know? And, and that's why people, I think, are so drawn to this story. Well, I, I'll tell you, uh, I agree with you. I, the, the whole idea about people coming from around the world and the country, I remember being there for one of the um, uh World Series uh, events that you had and introducing two people who did not know each other from San Francisco. I introduced them together so that they could then uh, spend some time with each other, but they were both raving about the Negro Leagues Museum. And they were also raving about Kansas City. Yeah. They yeah. loved Kansas City. Yeah. And, 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 you know, one of the things that I hear all the time from people uh, who visit Kansas City is how friendly and outgoing the people are. Yeah. And one of the reasons we have people who are like that are some of the things that you do, Kiana, the volunteerism that you bring to the table, the way that you engage with the community. There is this constant conversation about how we can try to do things better. Tell us about some of the things that you're doing in Kansas City, in addition to the Negro Leagues Museum, that, that's changing people's lives and impacting the way that they do things. Wow, that was quite a <laughs> quite a compliment, Marisla James. I feel like I'm doing a small part, um, but it's been for me 
just like founding Black Excellence KC. I mean, I feel like, Marislai, there's an issue in our city about retaining Black professionals. I mean, we come here, we get jobs, but we're not staying. And so, or we're not connecting them to places like Nigger Luke's Baseball Museum or the American Jazz Museum, or they don't know what Black Kansas City has to offer. And so for me, in that juncture of three years ago, when I started creating Black Excellence Kansas City, it was basically just to ensure that Black professionals, young Black professionals like myself could have access to say, hey, like, who is our mayor? Who are people that run for city council? What is 18th and Vine? Why is this important? Um, if you're not from Kansas City, you should know where to go get your hair done. I mean, it's just this whole cultural thing. Um, and I, in the hopes of people, uh, companies would support the organization to work so we could work with ERG groups to help retention rates. And so I think that's one. A lot of it's been informal. It's just been like, hey, like, what's going on over here in Joni's world? How can I support her? or with you and just kind of jump in from there. But I think a lot of it's just me taking that first step and meeting people like yourself. I mean, Bob's an example of that. I didn't know Bob from Adams and Eve uh, until I did my first tour. Uh, I think it was my undergrad year and he toured uh, the African-American Student Union from Central Methodist University that I founded. Uh, very similar when we were in a some similar time as where we are now with Michael Brown and Trayvon Martin at that time. And predominantly white colleges don't have cultural black institutions in sight. So we took a trip to Kansas City. And I think it's just been those like taking initiative of my own um, mindfulness and wanting to grow that fortunately has led me to have some great experiences. And it's just been one thing after the next. And it's been a fun ride for sure. Well, I hope you've been able to tell the difference now between Bob and Eve. <laughs> That's not what I was calling, but yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, guys, for us, you know, it's been a, a breath of fresh air to have that youthful exuberance as part of this. You know, it's important. We have to remain relevant. And, and I think that's the challenge for any history museum and particularly cultural institutions like ours is how do you stay relevant? And, and because I've got to continue to figure out ways that will get younger folks engaged in wanting to know about this history and they can feel what it means and that there is a connection because young people are very savvy. They are quick to say that that was then, this is now. It don't apply to me. I have to show them how it applies. But it's also good to come from someone who is not as seasoned as I am. I ain't going to say old. I'm going to say seasoned. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's still helping fly. And I think we're doing just that. I mean, the museum, I mean, it's incredible to see. And I slide to your point. Bob has elevated the museum that wasn't promised to even have a museum, you know, 30 years ago. So to see, like, for me, I mean, I'm looking at it like, yeah, I love the museum. I live in Kansas City. But I mean, to look up on TV and everybody's paying their tributes to the and highlighting the museum. It's like that's right here in Kansas City. And all these major league baseball players wearing our centennial patch. We're trending on social media. I'm seeing people react the way that they react. And I think sometimes I know Bob, he's close to this. He's been doing it for such a long time. I'm just like, hey, like, are you are you like getting this? Like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And I think that he is. But it's just been so much fun. And people tag us, you know, on social media. They're driving the streetcar. They want us to know, hey, we're here. So we get an Instagram notification. So it's for me, it's those things that gets me excited because that's my world. That's what I'm doing, too. If I go 
to somebody else's business. I want to support. I want to let people see like, hey, this is where we're at. So for the museum to kind of have our brand match the digital awareness of where we're at and having those two things kind of combined, it's been a beautiful thing to see um, how we went from 2000 followers all the way to over 14,000. Like, it's just been crazy. So I'm just super excited about that. Yeah, and I think you. a lot of that is a credit to um, the organization, and that's you guys, the two of you, um, and your storytelling abilities. Tell us how you think the power of storytelling can really help move um, the mission of a nonprofit forward. Well, I certainly believe that nonprofits need to be able, number one, to convey their story. Because for me, now, other people can go out and they can sell and they don't necessarily believe in what they're selling. They're just masterful salespeople. For me, I have to believe it. I have to feel it. And, and, and guys, I was blessed to be around perhaps the greatest storyteller of all time in the legendary Buck O'Neill. That's and, Yeah. And, and I tried to draw from not only what Buck told, but how he told it. And I don't care if he had told a story a thousand times. If he told it to you, he was going to tell it like it was the very first time he ever told it. And for a cultural institution, and I think really the Black experience in this country has by and large been predicated on storytelling. So, you know, your grandfather or your great-grandmother, grandfather set you down and they told you because our stories have never been fully documented in the pages of American history book. So it has essentially been passed down from generation to generation. And the Negro Leagues is a great example of that. You know, somebody, your grandfather set you down and said, boy, you should have seen these players playing here. You know, that kind of thing. And so the art of storytelling becomes, I think, critically important in, in how we generate interest in this museum. And I can tell you now, there is no greater compliment when someone says, I felt like I was there. Yeah. You, know, you paint that picture with words to the point that they feel like I'm standing there facing Satchel Paige, or I just witnessed Josh Gibson hit that ball a country mile. That's what it's all about because I want them to feel this. Yeah. And so sometimes when I give these tours, after I give the tour, I am exhausted. And people will say, well, all you did was just walk around and talk. No, it's more than just walk around and talk. You know, when the mayor brought somebody there, I wanted them to walk away feeling proud of what we had here in Kansas City. You know, that was important to me. And so the storytelling aspect is a great part of this museum in particular. And I think of Black culture in general. For sure. You know, you know, Bob, I think Buck was mad at me yesterday. Did you see the inauguration? You know, I was here working. I didn't get a chance to see much of it. Well, all I can tell you is I you know how I felt about red dresses, right? <laughs> and Lady Gaga came on wearing that red dress and she was singing that song and she stared at me the entire time. Yeah, I got a little embarrassed. So I bet you <laughs> I bet you I bet you Buck was saying now that that, that red dress is that she needs to be looking upward. But she just kept staring at me, and I just I turned away, and I come back, and there she is again. I was, it was amazing. It was amazing. I'm gonna go back and watch the video. <laughs> yeah, and you and you watch, and she'll be looking at me then too. 
<laughs> oh, hey, Bob, I want to ask you something because I know you remember this, and, and it was one of the most consequential things that I think that we did when, when I was in office. And we came and talked to you about affiliating and working with the Urban Youth Academy right there behind you. What's that been like? It's been amazing. Every time I come down to the district and those lights are on, particularly at nighttime, and those lights are on, man, you just love it. Because we talked about youthful exuberance. And to have kids here in the district, you know, being absorbed by the historic nature of what this community represented and, and being aspirational in what this community can be again. You know, we just scratched the surface here. You know, and I'm excited about the future of 18th and Vine. But to see those young kids there having a chance to play this game and to grow in our sport and to be nurtured in our sport and know that the spirit of the Negro Leagues is pushing that. Oh, man, it fills me with great joy. Again, it re-energizes me, too. And so I've learned something that I need to be around young folks more often because it puts a little bit of extra pep in my step. And, And to see them dreaming. You know, that's where it all starts. It starts with a dream. And sometimes we have a tendency to squash kids' dreams. We don't want to do that. We want them to dream about all the possibilities and to know that there are ways to prepare to go out and pursue your dream. And that's what I see at the Urban Youth Baseball Academy every day. They've done a wonderful job. It changed the landscape of historic 18th and Vine. You know, because I know man, we all fan, we we know we kind of all romanticize about the kids playing baseball, that sometimes we forget that this is a major economic driver that was built right here in the heart of the urban core. Absolutely. So everything about the academy is great. God bless Dayton Moore and the Kansas City Royals for coming up with that concept and seeing it through and partnering with the city and partnering with you and the 18th and Vine community. Uh, Even though there were people that didn't understand what we were trying to do and opposed it, I don't think we hear that anymore. No, no. And you know, they're always going to be naysayers. Absolutely. You're always going to get that. I work with one. And sometimes they just simply don't understand. They don't understand. And as my mother would say, you don't know what you don't know. And so yeah. <laughs> but you always got to have that core group of people who do believe. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they are prepared to deal with whatever comes their way. And I think all who were involved in understanding that this academy was good, it, it was good for young people, and it was going to be good for the sustainability of this community, we all believe. And, and now it's there and it's flourishing, and I couldn't be more excited about it. I think it's literally a way to grow the next generation um, of individuals who know the Negro Leagues, love the Negro Leagues, and want to be involved in it. It's right there, all connected. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I think that's what it's all about. And and, and that goes back to what we're talking about, relevancy, creating that relevant impact. And and so when they created the academy and, and Kansas City Southern Railways names the softball field, women of the Negro Leagues field. And and now young girls who are participating in the softball program, they can come here and now learn about Tony Stone. Yeah. And and Mamie Peanut Johnson and Connie Morgan, these pioneering women who played in the Negro Leagues. And now that Major League Baseball has officially recognized 
the Negro Leagues as major is not a pipe dream. Yeah, now you can say, oh, this has happened in the major leagues. Yeah, that women did indeed play and that women did own and operate professional teams. And if they did it, so can I. You know, and, and so to see that twinkle in their eye when they make that connection. And, and there's nothing greater than hope. When you have hope, you have everything. And I don't want to dash anybody's hopes and dreams. And, and hopefully they are fueled by what they learn here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. What a perfect sentiment to end our conversation on. There's nothing greater than hope. I love that. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> And thank you, Kiana. What a great conversation. Yeah, thank you guys for having us. This was great. Appreciate both of you. Love both of you. Love what you do. Love our Negro Leagues Museum. And and I just, the thing I love the most is the collaborative, inclusive, non-discriminatory, all-encompassing way of, about the way that you both approach selling and providing information to people about something so important to African-American culture and the culture of the United States generally. Thank you for what you do. Oh, Mayor, it's an honor. It's an honor to do this. And, you know, we've talked about this on any number of occasions. You became mayor at the same time that I came back to take on the role as president of the Negro League Baseball Museum. And, and, and in many ways, we were joined at the hip from that, from that day forward. You know, you were the first person that I called and wanted to meet with, and you very graciously did that. And, and we've been kind of going down this parallel path ever since. Now, you've been far more successful than me, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> I'm only successful because of my partnership with Joni Wickham. What it is, is, is the recognition of how strategic people are important in your life and the and the power of good, good partnership. I'm fortunate enough to have it with Joni. You're fortunate enough to have it with uh, Kiana. And we're all fortunate enough to have it with City and the Negro Leagues Museum. Thank you both for being here with us today. Uh, absolutely my pleasure. Thank you all for having me. Take care. Bye now. All right. Bye, y'all.